Okay, good morning. I hope you guys can hear me. Uh, my indicator tells me that you can. Uh, I hope everyone is doing well this Palm Sunday. I, I hope you enjoyed the, the skit from the Lao family earlier. Uh, we do have skits lined up for Good Friday and Easter Sunday as well. So uh, please join us in our Friday and next Sunday services. So earlier this year, Tom Brady and uh, the, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, and when the team arrived back in Florida, they, they were met with a, with, with a huge victory parade. And apparently it was, it was over boats. And here uh, you can see uh, is a shot of the crowds uh, awaiting and cheering the winning team. Uh, we're going to look at uh, like a, a somewhat similar event today, but, but not really, um, as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, uh, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19, uh, Luke chapter 19. All right, and while you're going there and getting there, uh, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this, uh, this Palm Sunday, as your, as your son um, makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem for what, what ends up his, uh, being his final week, I pray that you impress upon us what the crowds were shouting at that time, that Jesus is King and King of our hearts. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, um, let's get to our passage today. Let me switch this up a bit here. All right, so in Luke chapter 19, verse 28, uh, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead and found it just as he had told them. Oh, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So, so back then, officials and donkeys used civil processions, not military processions. All right? and, and military processions used like powerful war horses and chairs from the army, uh, kind of like the skit uh, earlier had, had talked about. And Jesus uses a colt, and even then it's, it's not his, right? It, it's borrowed. Right? And so you can kind of see the great contrast between the, the Roman military processions and, and Jesus or uh, Jerusalem's reception of Jesus, a, a meek and peaceful king. And honestly, I think this should have been the crowd's first clue that, that, that Jesus was not coming for military conquest like most of them um, had probably hoped. And I mean, he's, he's riding a, a small colt, a colt right? And, and some, some, other, uh, some of the other gospels say a donkey or mule, but um, anyway, it's, it's a small animal, right? Okay, uh, let's, uh, let's go on. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So there are four Gospels that tell the life of Jesus. Uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And different gospels have different stories. They, they tell different sides of Jesus, right? So some stories are only found in one gospel, like, like when Jesus turns water into wine. Do you, do you know what gospel that, that appears in? Now, obviously I can't, I can't see you, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer my own question. Jesus turning into wine only appears in the gospel of John. None of the other three. Other stories, you know, they they may be found in two or three of the Gospels. You know, and a lot of the miracles, a lot of the miracles are that way. But other stories, I'm sorry. Uh, but events that appear in all four Gospels tend to be a greater em- uh, 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 greater emphasis or importance. For for instance, Jesus feeding the five thousand people with the five loaves and two fish, that miracle appears in all four Gospels. And so today's passage is known as the triumphal entry. And this event is one of the few events that you can find in all four Gospels, like like the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, and although no one could see it at the time, it really marks the beginning of the final events leading to his own death. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday, and it begins with what is known as Passion Week or, or, or Holy Week. And uh, which is really just a just a nicer way of saying Jesus's final week of conflict, of, of betrayal, of uh, trial, conviction, torture, uh, crucifixion, death, burial, uh, resurrection. Palm Sunday today commemorates Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem as people are lining the road, shouting in joyous praise. This Friday will be our Good Friday service, which will commemorate Jesus's crucifixion. Uh, come here, Pastor Rick, preach live over, over, over Zoom. And next Sunday is our Easter service, which celebrates Jesus' resurrection. Uh, come here, our new lead pastor, Pastor Mike Kim, as he delivers our Easter service message. So it's been said that all four Gospels are, are extended passion narratives. I've, I've said this before, that the four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, are really about Jesus' final week, uh, this week, which begins today. Palm Sunday. Like, like that's the main focus of the Gospels, Passion Week uh, or Holy Week. And, and all that beginning stuff, his, his birth, his early life, his, his miracles and, and teachings, uh, healings and, and, and parables, all that, the, the teachings and the parables, right? Uh, they're secondary to his final week on earth before the resurrection. Secondary. Jesus' final week that the Gospels are mainly focused on the circumstances surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection. And all the stuff in the beginning is just set up. It's just intro. It's just a, a, a glorified preface. So I decided to run the numbers. I, I roughly calculated the percent of each Gospel that talked about Jesus' final week and subsequent resurrection, starting with the triumphal entry. Now, I did this before uh, just by counting the number of remaining chapters uh, once each gospel talked about the triumphal entry and, and they divided that by the total number of chapters in each book, uh, it was slightly scientific, but like not overly so. So, so this time, uh, I wanted to be a little more accurate. So using a Bible program, I counted the actual number of words in the original Greek language that these four books are written in. And um, side note, I, I watched TV on the side as I was doing this, so it's, it's not as mind-numbing as it sounds. Um, and it, 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 if you're a Bible nerd... Um, and at this point, I think I'm pretty much only talking to Ted Chang right now. Uh, I use NA27. 
So this is the percent of the book basically dedicated to Jesus's last week and and resurrection and week or weeks thereafter, uh, depending on the gospel. Uh, I expressed each number as as a percentage, and you can see the resulting chart on the screen. The the individual books are between twenty five and forty percent, forty percent, right? The final column is the weighted average of all four books. Of, of, of all four books, and so 34% is, a, is about a third, is a little bit above a third. You know, Jesus lived for 33 to, to 35 years, we're not entirely sure, but roughly a third of what was written about him in the gospel, in the gospels, a third is about like his final weeks, right? So yeah, I, I, can, I can see why Jesus' final week is important. Look how much was written about it. Jesus' birth, his baptism, the Sermon on the Mount, all the parables, all the miracles, all the healings, basically all intro, basically all preface. Now, don't get me wrong, like that, all that early stuff is important. The Sermon on the Mount, which I've preached through before, is a real challenge to follow the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. It still challenges us today. You know, and his parables are timeless mini lessons on what the kingdom of heaven is like and how we should treat one another. Uh, his miracles and healings demonstrated his power as the Son of God. And it, leg- it legitimized his ministry here on earth. But his ultimate mission was to take on the sins of the world. All the previous stuff, his, his life teachings and such, mean nothing without his death and resurrection. Without his death and resurrection, all that previous stuff becomes like religious behavioral modification. Right? Without his death and resurrection, all his life teachings become nice lessons on how to behave and how to, how to play nice with others. And they are good lessons, don't get me wrong, but then they are just that. Like, just how to be good people, basically. There would be no kingdom of heaven in view. It would be for nothing. So today, Jesus is on the last leg of the race, the final part of his mission. He is entering Jerusalem, and it's the beginning of the end. So when we think of something triumphal, we think of something like a celebration or of, of a great victory or a great, like a great achievement, like a, a triumph, right? Just like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers earlier this year, they went from like a really horrible record last year to winning the Super Bowl. Thank you, Tom Brady, right? That's a triumph, right? And just like at the Buccaneers parade where people were like shouting and, and toward, the, toward, the, toward the players in adoration, The crowd here shouts praises toward Jesus. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If you noticed before in Jesus' life, Jesus was always telling people to be pretty low-key about him, with varying degrees of success, right? He would heal someone or perform some miracle and say, don't, shh, don't, don't tell anyone. But half the time, you know, they ignored him. They blabbed all about the miracle to everyone. And it's understandable, when you start to perform amazing miracles, it's hard for people to stay quiet about it. You have to know that you're going to go viral, to use today's terms. He even, he even told his own disciples, after they acknowledged who Jesus was, to be quiet and tell no one. But today, no longer. No longer does he tell his disciples to be quiet about him. And when people, you know, and when, when the people, like the entire crowds are openly shouting his praises, 
Jesus is okay with it. Jesus was basically finally openly allowing people to proclaim that he was the king and the Messiah that they had been waiting for. It was no longer supposed to be a secret. After all, Jesus, he's in the final stages of his ultimate mission. There's no need for secrecy anymore. Jesus is king. So in its simplest form, this right here is the gospel. This is the good news. During the triumphal entry, people were shouting the good news. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. In all four gospels, it's some some form of that. It varies slightly from, from one to another. But blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I, I spoke to the youth group uh, a few weeks ago about this. When When we overuse a word, it loses its power, its significance. It becomes... It becomes becomes commonplace to us. And I think that's what has happened with the word gospel. The word gospel has become almost trite in many Christian circles. So for many of us, the word has lost its power. In the biblical times, there were always actually many gospel announcements, uh, lowercase g, gospel announcements. Right? The word gospel simply means good announcement or, or good news. But it's not just any kind of news. In those times, a gospel an- uh, announcement often meant uh, it often meant royal news, like usually meaning news of a new king. Our country had elections this past November, right? And the winner was publicly announced, right? They they didn't have the internet back then. News had to be announced from city to city, town to uh, town to town. How else would people know? Hey, y'all, we have a new king. A gospel announcement a good news announcement, a royal announcement. And a new king back then usually also meant a, a new set of ways or maybe a new way of living, whoever, whoever he was, whoever that, that new king was. So when we Christians proclaim the gospel in, this, in its most simplest form, we are announcing that Jesus is king. The gospel is a little more than this, of course. We need to talk about sin and and among other things. But I invite you to reflect on what it means for you, for Jesus to be king. What the implications for that might be in your lives, if any. It's clear that the crowds and their fervor probably had the raw idea of Jesus as king. They are thinking about their messianic king, the, the, the son of David, right? All those prophecies being fulfilled is probably all that they could be thinking about. Um, power, glory, and mostly overthrowing the, the oppressive Roman government, being reestablished as a, as a national political kingdom once again, right? All, all that power, right? If they somehow knew that Jesus was going to die in an ignoble death on the cross, I don't think they would have be, been lining the streets celebrating. So they're expecting a a mighty conquering king, one who would throw off the yoke of their oppressors. They didn't see that the true enemies that had to be defeated were, were not pagan Gentiles. The true enemy was sin and death. The true enemy is sin and death. So unfortunately, the, the praise that the crowd lavished on Jesus wasn't because they recognized him as their savior from sin. They welcomed him because of their desire for a messianic deliverer, someone who would would lead them in the revolt against the Roman Empire. 
But instead, today is the story of a king who came as a lowly servant on a colt, not on a war horse, not on a chariot. A servant who had come to die. And that's going to mess with the crowds. The people hailed and praised him as the, as the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Right, Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I think, I think we as 21st century Gentiles, I think we have different misconceptions than these first century Jews. I, I don't think we today are hoping that Jesus will, will, will come to overthrow our United States government and establish Christianity as its own independent nation state. Am I right? right? I, I hope you don't hope for or, or, or believe that. I think our 21st century misconceptions about Jesus are that he will solve most of the problems that we have. That he will heal whom we want him to heal. That faith in Jesus will, will work for us somehow. That if we come to church and pray and play nice with others and behave in general, right? In our professional lives, in our academic lives, in our marriages, in our personal lives. That, that if we do those things, we behave, that, that Jesus will make our lives easier somehow. But that's not how it works. I think some of us treat our faith like a, like a contract. I believe in you, Jesus, and, and I behave, Jesus, as well as I can. And in turn, you help me throughout my life. Deal? But if and when that falls apart, sometimes our faith falters. If you don't hold up your end of the bargain, Jesus, then I walk away. You're not working for me anymore. This, this system is just not working out. Many of us don't realize that Jesus came only to conquer sin. That was his primary mission, to, to, to take on the sins of the world, to pay for the sins of the world on the cross. The first century Jews wanted a conquering king to deliver them from the Romans. And when that didn't happen, most of the Jews stopped believing. Same thing, I, whether we live in the first century or the 21st century, when things don't work out, sometimes people lose faith. We in the 21st century want a Savior who will intercede on our behalf during life's difficult moments. Jesus can and does, but that's not his main mission, for us to have comfortable lives and, and be somewhat successful, or at least su- successful enough. I wish, I wish we weren't like those crowds in the first century in that respect. We both may have misconceptions about Jesus. I wish, I wish both centuries, the, the, the first and the 21st, would realize that Jesus' mission is our salvation. That's it. That Jesus' mission is, is establishing a universal, more eternal kingdom in heaven than a temporary one on earth. Jesus Christ didn't come to conquer by force like, like normal, er, normal uh, earthly kings do. Instead, he came to conquer by, by love, by, by grace, by, by mercy, by, by his own sacrifice for the sins of the world. His kingdom isn't marked by like vast armories uh, and, and splendor. His kingdom is marked by loneliness and servanthood. I, I've mentioned before many times that to be great in the kingdom, you must be least, you, you must serve. I pray that I pray that Jesus has made a triumphal entry into your own hearts. I pray that he reigns there in peace and love.
if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, I pray that we would exhibit those same qualities. And I pray that the world will see, uh, I, would pr- I pray that what the world sees in us is the one true king. Now, there is a characteristic of the crowd that I wish, um, I do wish we had today, and that's, that's their zeal. Shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And I think many of us have lost that zeal over the centuries. I wish we could have that, that passion, that fervor today. So let's take a step back and look at our own priorities. I, I, was, I was thinking about myself, and for me personally, I, I might look forward to watching a football game. I might look forward to a student concert. I might look forward to having a meal with loved ones. But the one thing I should look most forward to with great anticipation is something that isn't often on my mind. I admit it. Jesus coming again. The triumphal entry uh, in today's passage was all about looking forward. Looking forward with great anticipation. What is that thing that you look forward with great anticipation? Is it a promotion at work? Is it getting out of school? Is it you know, what, whatever it is. But do we look forward to Jesus with great anticipation? This Passion Week, this, this Holy Week, I, I invite you to take some real time to reflect on your faith and what it means to you. Is, is Jesus some sort of deity that you pray to only to ask for help and favors and problem solving? And All those things are okay to do. In fact, we should be doing those things. But are those the only things you think about when you think of Jesus? Or is Jesus the King who came to die for your sins? I invite you to wrestle with that this Holy Week. A few years ago, uh, our country laid uh, to rest our 41st president, George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, He served as our president from 1989 to 1993. Um, some of you weren't even born yet, uh, but I, I was in college at the time. Uh, Jim McGrath is the Bush family spokesman. Uh, he posted this picture of George Bush's um, uh, service dog, a, a yellow Labrador retriever named, uh, named Sully. You can see Sully lying in front of, of his master's casket, uh, draped in an American flag. You know, the, the caption is what got me, and I, I had to contemplate that for a while. Mission complete. I wonder if, if today is a light at the end of the tunnel for Jesus. Like he's tired of all the arguments with the, the, the leaders and, 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 and all that. And, and I'll unpack that in my, in my coming you know, um, messages. He's finally arrived in Jerusalem. His own mission is, is almost complete. Because four days from today's triumphal entry, four days from now, he will have his last supper. He will be betrayed. He will be handed over to the authorities. He will be put on trial. He will be convicted. He will be sentenced to death. Jesus' mission is, is not yet complete, but it's about to be this Friday. Five days from now, he will be tortured and he will be crucified. So if you're not, if you're, If you're still not sure who Jesus Christ is, let me tell you. Jesus is King. He is the Son of God, 
And he came down from heaven to take our place to die for our sins on that cross. That whoever believes in him shall not perish in in eternal torment, shall not perish in hell, but have eternal life, have everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to acknowledge you are king, and that is the greatest news of all. Jesus, you are king. I pray that you would send the Spirit to us at generations. I pray that you would convict our hearts to remind us that, God, that your Son is king. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.